listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Well, hey, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on another episode of the Rainmaking Podcast. Our guest today is a special expert on the topic of achievement and high-stakes motivation. His name is Mike Pierce. Mike and I have known each other for some time. He used to be a recruiter. He got into professional speaking, and that's all he does full-time. He brings his very high energy to his programs, and he knows how to tell stories in a way that will engage people so they'll never forget those stories and the points of those stories. And that's why I wanted to bring him here today to teach you how to sell and how to communicate your value through story. He's a professional storyteller. He's known as Antarctic Mike. He works with organizations that want to find, engage, and keep the best performing people. His background, like I mentioned, started in the recruiting business way back in 1997, around when I started also. He's an avid fan of polar expedition history and is an endurance athlete, as you'll hear him talk about that in my interview with him today. In 2006, Mike became one of nine people to run the first ever Antarctic Ice Marathon, and a year later became the first American to run the Antarctic 100K, a grueling 62 miles on an ice shelf 600 miles from the South Pole. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mike today. So I've got with me on the Rainmaking Podcast, a good friend of mine, Mike Pierce. I'm excited to have you back on this show, Mike. Thank you, Scott. And so tell us your story. We're talking about, for our topic today, telling the greater story everybody has to tell a story when they're selling their services. Tell us your story. What did you start in your career and how did you end up to where you are today as a speaker? In 1997, I started in the recruiting industry with a very small company in Orange County, California. Mm -hmm. Now going into this, I knew I wanted to be a speaker eventually. I knew that when I was a college student, I had made that decision, but yet I just didn't know how I'd get there. So life goes on and you have to get a job. And so I ended up in the recruiting industry. And along the way, I ended up recruiting a company or selling my recruiting services to a company, a quite a large company called SCI, stands for Service Corporation International. Mm-hmm. Well, I did such a good job for them that they ended up hiring me to help them internally rebuild their own recruiting program. So I guess that was testimony that what I sold them work because they turned and used it against me. And then I ended up going to work for them. (laughs) And and so during my tenure with them, this was around the year 2000 to 2005. And during my time with them, I started teaching a leadership course internally uh, to all the leaders and the managers of the company. And during that time, when I was in Bakersfield, California, on a business trip working with them, I discovered an Antarctic history story in a bookstore. And so I bought it and I couldn't put it down. And I knew that this story had a whole lesson, series of lessons for leaders and managers. So I basically rewrote part of the training course that I was supposed to give. And I started telling the stories from Antarctica and people fell in love with it. People thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And that's when I decided, okay, Now I have something. Now I got to get out of here. And so I made plans to get out of the company and start my own business. But during the interim, I knew I had to go to Antarctica in order to have credibility to tell the story. So I ended up going to Antarctica twice in the year 2006, running both a marathon and an ultra marathon. Wow. Wow. And little did I know that that episode of my life would end up changing so many other facets of my whole life on and off the job. 
And so I went to Antarctica. And then in 2009, I took the leap, left the corporate world and started speaking engagements. And I've been doing that ever since. That's great. So this is really exciting to hear about this because I know that there's a lot of stories that come from your experiences and even not just your own, but also the historical context of Antarctica. What do you think from, from what you've learned in telling stories and being a professional storyteller, what do you think is the biggest lesson someone can learn from your story? There are so many lessons. I guess if I had to pick one that stands out, I would say do the things that you really want to do and do the things that are hard. And what do you mean by that exactly? Well, I told you I wanted to be a speaker ever since my college days. I just didn't know how I would get there. So during my entire time as an employee of several companies, I was sort of biting my tongue, meaning I'm there and I'm doing a good job, but it wasn't what I really wanted to be doing. I knew in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a speaker. And so eventually it just got to the point where, you know, I was, when I went to Antarctica, I was 40 years old and I sat there and I one day and I thought, okay, Mike, you're 40. There's only so much quality time left. If you don't do it now, you're never going to do it. There's always an excuse and a reason why you shouldn't do what you really want to do because I had to take a risk. Right. But I thought the bigger risk is not doing it. And so that's when I just jumped off the cliff and said, here we go. But I think it's important for people to do the things that they really want to do. Don't let excuses and other items stand in your way of doing what you really want to do. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that each person, they're on their own adventure. I talk to a lot of lawyers within my recruiting practice and all the people that I talk to, their partners, they've already decided that that's what they want to do. That's the path that they want to go on. They've, They've already had multiple exit ramps previous to where they are, to where they could get off that ramp and do something else. But that was their chosen path. Let me ask you this. As it relates to the story of selling services, what have you learned and what can you share about storytelling to those people that are in a position where they have to get work? They have a service or a product that they have to sell to somebody else. How do you think they can take what you've experienced and what, what you can teach them about storytelling? How could they take that and apply that to selling their services? If you look in any space, whether it's the attorney space, the manufacturing space, the hotel space, any space in business, there's a lot of competitors. So you have to put yourself in the shoes of a customer. Customers have a lot of choices when it comes to who am I going to pick? Right. The question is this, who are they going to pick? And why would they pick you? Right. Mm-hmm. Most businesses are not selling based on the fact that they're the cheapest price. And quite frankly, most consumers don't buy things that are necessarily the lowest price. So the question becomes, if you're going to charge more, you expect people to drive further and spend more money. You have to ask yourself the question, why would somebody do that? Mm. You have to give people a good reason. And if you look at how most businesses communicate to their customer base, they don't give customers a very good reason to drive further and spend more money. I mean, quite frankly, most of the messages from companies is, you know, quality, price, selection, service, biggest sale of the year, nobody beats us, our customer service people care so much, they lay awake all night worrying about you because they just can't stop thinking about your needs. Like, Mm -hmm. come on, are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, look at the car business. Just turn the radio on and listen to a car ad. I mean, you're just repulsed, right? Because you don't believe in any of it. And so, you know, this gets back to salespeople. You know, salespeople get the question from a prospective customer. Well, why should I buy your stuff? Right? Fair question. 
Well, you think about how most salespeople answer that question. They start vomiting. You know, here come the bullet points, the brochures, and the BS nonstop for about 20 minutes. <laughs> right. And the better answer that I tell salespeople is this. When a customer looks at you and says, well, why should I buy your stuff? Do this. Just look at the customer and say, I don't necessarily know that you should. Mm. And just shut up. Mm-hmm. And then say, what's your email? Huh? Trust me, what's your email? I'm going to send you a link to a video. It's a minute and 45 seconds long. It's a story. Watch the story and call me tomorrow. And you tell me whether or not we're the right company for you. Then just shut up and walk away. (laughs) I mean, that is something that most salespeople don't have the courage to do for a lot of reasons. But the key is you have to have a good, compelling story to make it work. Right. You have to give... And the, the best way to communicate anything to anybody is through a story. And if the story is compelling enough, people will transpose what they hear in the story right onto their own world. Right. You know, it's interesting. I'll give you a good example. Probably the greatest corporation I've ever been to in my whole life, bar none, is a manufacturing company in St. Louis, Missouri. They're called Cambridge Air Solutions. Okay, they make heaters, commercial grade heaters for buildings, you know, big buildings like warehouses. And there was a prospective customer in Michigan that was considering buying their stuff. And so the president of the company, Mark Braun, flies to Michigan to go meet with this customer. And so the customer is grilling him, you know, why should I buy your stuff? And give me all the data and the dashboards and numbers and all this nonsense. And Mark said, look, if you want all that technical stuff, just go to the website. You don't need me. He said, I got a better idea. Why don't you come to St. Louis and meet my people and then make your decision? So the guy flies from Michigan to St. Louis, spends two days with all the employees at Cambridge, walks the whole floor, asks all kinds of questions of all the $15 an hour people. He comes back to Mark two days later and he says, we're ready to go. And Mark said, well, I'm flattered. What did you see? And this is what he said to him. I saw the look of ownership in the eyes of your people. I've been to Cambridge. I know what this place is like. I got a tour of this place about two years ago. Somebody told me, Mike, you have to go to this company. This is the greatest company you'll ever hear about. And I'm thinking to myself, how is this the greatest company in the world? These people are not curing infectious diseases. They're not sending anybody to Jupiter. They're just building heaters, right? And so I got a tour of this place and I'm walking through the facility and a kid starts walking towards me. I'm with the president of the company and a kid starts walking toward us. And I have no idea who this kid is. He, he worked there at the company. So I just stopped him. And I said, hi, my name is Mike. I'm getting a tour. What is your name? He says, my name is Alex Ransom. I said, Alex, how old are you? He says, I'm 20. I said, how long have you been working here at Cambridge? Year and a half. Do you like it? Nope. I love it. And I'm like, well, that's a little different. <laughs> Remember, this kid, makes, this kid makes 15 bucks an hour. And um, I said, well, why do you love it? He said, Cambridge Engineering has changed my whole life. I looked at him and I said, changed your life? You're 20. Your life started about two weeks ago. (laughs) He laughed. I said, how has Cambridge changed your whole life? Here's what he said. This company has given me the flexibility and the freedom every single day to make decisions on what I think needs to change. I said, you mean to tell me you have permission to break things that aren't necessarily broken. He said, that's exactly right. In fact, this guy, and he points to the president, this guy holds me accountable to it. I looked at Mark and I said, what do you mean? He said, every single day, I tell my people, 
make changes to the process. If you think it can be, if you can make it better, faster, cheaper, safer, do it. And then record it on your cell phone video and send me the video. He's got thousands of these videos in the library. And then Alex said, Mike, all of that ability. Now I'm getting into things that I never knew I could do. And that confidence that I'm building now in myself is spilling over into my relationship with my girlfriend, with my parents. And I said, stop. I looked at Mark and I said, 30 seconds of that right there. That's all you need, right? Stories. And it's not surprising that Cambridge Engineering, I asked Mark, I said, do you have a recruiting problem? Scott, you're in the recruiting business. You know, imagine trying to recruit kids to work in a factory in St. Louis for 15 bucks an hour with no air conditioning in an unemployment pool that at the time was what, about minus 800%, right? (laughs) Right. And Mark said, we do have a recruiting problem. The problem is we have too many people. I said, what do you mean? He said, we average about 15 to 20 qualified applicants for every position we fill. He said, last year we had to do a big batch hire. I guess they, they bought a company and they needed to staff it up. They had to hire about 30 people at 15 bucks an hour really quickly. Wow. They had more than 525 people, 525 people fighting and competing for 30 chairs. And you know, it's funny, you'll go across the street and you'll talk to the people that run that company. They can't get one person to fight for a chair. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and, and you know, you're like, is it the wrong side of the street? Is it the water? Is, you know, it's like, no, Cambridge has a better story and they tell it. You go onto YouTube, you put in Cambridge Air Solutions, man, it's a, it's a Harvard education on steroids. That's fantastic. That's interesting. Let me ask you this. And, and I agree with you. Anytime I make a recruiting presentation, well, let me tell you about my client. I first always ask questions. What's important to you? What do they want? And then I always try to frame it in a story. And I, and I try to give a structure like the hero's journey. Think of Joseph Campbell, where it's the same story that we love to hear over and over again, where here's the gap. You come in, you solve this problem, and you grow from that. What lessons from Cambridge do you think people in professional services can take away? in how they tell their story? What are some of the first things that come to your mind about what what you learned from that, how you applied that to your life as a storyteller, and what can those people that are communicating their story to their prospects and their clients, what, what lessons do you think they can take away from that? Here's the thing about the story. The story cannot be about the widget, meaning the product or the service, because nobody cares about the widget, right? Go back to Cambridge. The reason that guy from, from Michigan made a decision to buy the Cambridge product was not because the story was about how great the Cambridge product is. The story was about how great the people were, right? right? It's, it's always the story of the impact of the product or the service, not the product or the service itself. I'll give you a really good example. It came from the Super Bowl this past year. Remember the Super Bowl? Back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Back when the NFL actually existed, right? That's okay. right. That's right. Yeah. Well, if you remember the line rate, million for 30 seconds, right? So if you're a CEO of a company and you're going to spend, you know, 5.6 or let's say you're going to run a spot for a minute. So you're going to spend, what is the math on that? 10, 11.2, right? For that, that's a lot of money. So you better make it count because you're paying, what, about 98 grand a second. (laughs) So the only commercial, honestly, I thought most of those commercials were terrible. The only commercial I thought that was worth anything was the one that the guy from WeatherTech ran. Remember, you know who WeatherTech is? No. Okay, WeatherTech is a company that makes these very expensive custom 
floor mats for cars and trucks that guard against like mud okay, and sure, snow and salt. Sure. Okay, yeah, everybody's heard of him. And so you think if you're the CEO and you're spending, he's going to spend, he's running two spots. So he's going to spend $11.2 million. You think, well, what, what would I show in 60 seconds if I'm going to spend $11.2 million? Well, I'm probably going to show floor mats and muddy shoes and how they protect the car, right? It's not what he did. The commercial basically was this. It was the story of a dog. This golden retriever dog comes on the screen and he says, hi, my name is Scout. I'm a lucky dog. Not just because I'm here on the beach or not just because I'm in a commercial on the big game. I'm lucky because I beat cancer. I had a form of cancer that only 1% of animals ever get cured from. And Mm. thanks to the staff at the University of Wisconsin Veterinary School of Medicine, I'm now able to talk to you. And then the CEO's voice comes on. You don't see him, but you can hear it. And he says, yep, that's my dog. It was his dog. And he says, you know, dogs are a very important part of most of our lives. You can make a difference in theirs. We at WeatherTech encourage you to donate to the University of Wisconsin Veterinary School of Medicine. Boom, end of commercial. No floor mats, no muddy boots. And I'm telling you, that thing has more replays and shares than all the other commercials combined. I couldn't tell you one of the other commercials, (laughs) right? Because you want to tell a story about something that has a very strong human component, not about the product or the service. That doesn't leave any impression in people's minds. But stories with strong human components leave a very strong impression in people's mind. And as long as people can tie that human moment to you, they're never going to forget you, right? So when I tell people you know, about telling stories is you've got to find the strong human component in the story that metaphorically speaks to the large viewer audience. So let, Even, let me take what you mentioned, the strong human component that metaphorically speaks to the audience. Okay. Uh, do you think that should be an example of a previous customer? Should it be, let's say, for example, it's a professional services firm. Okay. What would you think they should take from their existence, should they be stories of their clients or, or what do you think? Well, I think it depends. I think it could be stories from customers. It could be stories from employees. It could be like you look at Cambridge Engineering. They've got tons of these employee stories like Alex Ransom that I mentioned. So it depends on, I think, how strong the story is. I think when you look at your customer base and you look at your employees, you don't have to look very hard to find, to find the right story. It's there. Right. Now, some people have a hard time identifying it, but I think it can exist either in your customer base or your employee base. Right. Do you think, should this be, let's say there is a company that says, we want to take the story of our firm and we want to put it on our website. We want to have testimonials from clients. We want to have testimonials from summer associates, uh, even former colleagues. And that's one thing I've even advised my law firm clients is that if you want to get video testimonials of why your firm is a great place to work, you want to get ex-members of your firm. You want to get alumni that are with competing firms or went in-house to talk about what your firm's all about. Have you seen any organizations that really kind of take this to heart and have a whole campaign over really pushing their story out? Oh, absolutely. I think you have to ask yourself the question, where's the biggest impact you've made? Like take a law firm. Let's say that there was, let's say I hired an attorney for some type of an issue. The question becomes, how did that service that I contracted, how did that service make an impact in my life? Right. And how did that change somebody's life? Did it change my life? Did it change my wife's life? Did it change a customer's life? Did it change an employee's life? Right. 
I think it just depends. I'll give you an example. One of my customers is an asphalt paving company located in Las Vegas, Nevada. So they sell asphalt paving to contractors, home developers, people that build strip malls, you know, that kind of thing where you'd have a lot of asphalt. Mm -hmm. And the story of the company is not about how great their asphalt paving services are because there's 18 of those companies on every street corner, right? Right. The question is, is where's the human component in the story? I was talking to the CEO last year and his name is Guy Wells. And he was telling me a story about how he fought to save the company. He bought the company 10 years prior from his parents. It's a, it's a multi-generation family business. So he buys mom and dad out about 10 years ago. And the thing was a train wreck. And he spent a lot of time turning it around and turning it around and turning it around. And one of the stories in the turnaround was a story of one of his key employees. This guy's name is uh, Manny. When Manny joined the company, he was an 18-year-old kid. And he ended up getting sentenced to seven years in prison for a felony drug charge. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And when the guy gets out of prison, he basically comes back to the company and Guy Wells took him back like nothing had ever happened. Just totally trusted the guy. And to this day, the guy has not touched drugs. He's gotten married. He has three daughters and he's one of the key employees. And this guy turned his life around. Guy Wells fought for this guy's life. And I said to him, you know what the story of the company is? I said, the story is about the fighter within you. And I said, there's a fighting spirit in every human being. This story will speak to that component of every person. And I said to him, this ought to be a documentary film. And he looked at me and he said, can you do that? <laughs> and I, I, Scott, you have to understand, I can't spell the word film, right? Right. So I'm, I'm sitting there saying this to myself. And then I said to him, well, of course I can do that. And he looked at me and he said, all right, well, I'll send you a check. And I thought, <laughs> I thought, oh shit. Because you know, once somebody pays you, you're on the hook, right? Right, right. So he sends me a check and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? So I called my cameraman. He's up in London, Ontario. He's a 21-year-old kid. And I said, Josh, you're coming to Vegas. Why? Because we're going to shoot a corporate documentary called For the Fighter and You. It's about an asphalt paving company story. He said, I've never done that. I said, well, you just got paid, so you're coming. <laughs> so, I mean, this, honestly, this is like an episode out of Two Clowns and a Camera. You know, I'm sitting there going, this is insane. And you know what? Josh and I went to Vegas in December. We shot it. We wrote the whole storyline, the screenplay, the narrative. We did all that stuff and um, shot everything we needed to shoot. And we just finished the film like a week ago. It's a 20-minute short film. And it's really, really well done. That's and, great. And what it is, and we had a viewer that saw it. And the viewer called me. And the viewer said this. This is really amazing. She said, this almost feels like I have a peek into the window of the soul of the company. And I thought, you know what? That's pretty cool. Because if you can help people see inside the soul of the company, that's why people, remember this, Scott, people buy from those that they like and trust, right? right? That's not going to change. Well, the best way to communicate, a re give somebody a reason to like you and trust you is to let them inside the soul of the company. Right. I mean, really, really let people in on who are you? Because people want to, first of all, know who are these people. And that's why when a customer goes to a website, one of the first places they go to is about us because right. they want to know, well, who are the wizards behind the curtain, right? That's right. Who are these people? I'm going to assume that your product or your service you're selling it is halfway decent or I wouldn't even be in the, in the game at this point. But beyond that, I don't want to know how great your stuff is. I want to know who you are. Can I trust you, right? And so when you tell people a story that's really revealing about who you are, that's a very, very strong and endearing component 
in the equation of getting people to like you and trust you. And they just transpose that right on the product and the service. And they go, yep, it's worth driving further and it's worth spending more money for. You know, that's interesting. One of the thoughts that came to my mind is that there are some organizations out there that have enough brand equity where they don't have to try very hard to tell their story. They're going to get the business just because they've already built that reputation over decades. But there's about 99.5% of all the other companies out there that have to really work hard to get the business. And I think what you've said is an area that a lot of organizations that I deal with, especially law firms, is really, really missing the story and not learning how to tell that story. And that's one of the things I try to do when, I'm, when I get a new client. I want to find out what is the story. What, and I ask all of them this, and you're going to love this, Mike. I say, I want you to answer this question. And you can't give me the answer of culture. But the answer is this. What can you say about your firm that nobody else can say about their firm? And you would think that I had asked them for a moment of silence. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just stumps them. I can't tell you. I mean, I'm talking to the smartest people in the world. And they're speechless. They can't think of anything. And I said, like that's you, you asked them to speak Yiddish, huh? <laughs> right, right, right. I say, you have to tell me. What's different about you that nobody else can say about their firm? Let's start with that. Let's find that distinction because that's where that story is going to start. Why do people join your firm? Let's say, right. and, and this is one thing I'll always also do is if I'm getting to learn a firm and I really want to spend time working with them, I'm going to meet several different layers of leadership. I want to talk to people that have been there for two years because they have seen enough that's helped them to decide this is working. They're going to stay there. What would be some tactical action steps that you would give to a listener that wants to really work on building their story of whatever it is that they're selling, professional services, B2B sales, whatever that is, what, what would be some action steps you'd recommend that they would take today from what you talked about, Mike? Well, I think you have to get some outside help. I think sometimes when you're really close to the source, it's sometimes very difficult to see the story. I think you have to get some outside an outside set of eyes to really understand. Yeah. Yeah. What is that story that we're going to surface and that we're going to tell? And where's the human component to the story? I mean, if people want help, have them call me. I'll spend some time talking to them. Yeah, and we'll put all your info in the show notes, Mike. You have to find the component of the story that if the lady in Huntsville, Alabama, okay, I refer to that her metaphorically as the person outside your radius. In other words, she's never going to buy from you. She's never going to work from you. She has no vested interest in you. But if she heard the story, she would go, holy bleep, these people are awesome. And she would promote you, right? There's got to be something in that story that the people who don't have a vested interest in you really find valuable. In other words, here's an example. Does it pass what I call the parent test? Mm -hmm. If a parent heard your story of a parent of a five-year-old, would there be something in that story that I would grab my kid and I would say, I want you to hear this story. This is incredible, (laughs) right? Right. There's got to be something in that story that I can offer to my five-year-old. I'll give you an example. I have another customer that's a wealth management firm in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I met the CEO of this company. This is a funny story. I met him in an argument on Facebook. Like, I'm not kidding. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I won't get into the nature of the argument, but it was a heated discussion. People were throwing hockey sticks and rakes, you know, those kind of discussions. right? Right, right. And I mean, it was getting ugly. And this guy was handling himself in a really respectful manner. So I sent him a message and I said, hey, Colin, by the way, I just, I'm not taking a side here, but I just think the way you're handling yourself is very respectable. And he said, oh, thank you. And we got into this discussion. Turns out he's the CEO of this wealth management company. And I got a book. He wrote a book 
he said, Hey, send me your address and I'll send you a book. And I'm like, wow, one author sends a book to another. That's kind of cool. So I'm holding his book in my hand. It's called the lemonade legacy. It's Hmm. a story about how he took his daughter, Emmy. He has a 10 year old daughter named Emmy. And when she was six, he started a lemonade stand for her out in front of their house. And he did this to teach her the principles of basic finance, spend less than you make. Like, I mean, just like really basic common sense stuff to a six-year-old kid. Right. And there's a chapter in his book that says, doing the right thing is always the right thing. And I thought to myself, there's the story. I said to Colin, the name of this company is the Evans Financial Group because his last name is Evans. I said, you need to change the name of your company to the Lemonade Legacy Group. Your whole story has nothing to do with financial services. Your whole story has to do with your relationship with your daughter and what you did when she was six. Because that story, think about it, that story speaks to the lady in Huntsville, Alabama. That story gives that people, those people that are outside your radius, it gives them value. I mean, this is a very, very good book. And I told Cohen, before I die, we're going to shoot a film called The Lemonade Legacy. (laughs) I mean, it's a great story. And so I think, again, just look at your story and ask yourself the question, people that don't have a vested interest in you, would they find something in the story that they could use? Those are great That's a pretty good place to start. That's great. So Mike, tell us about the offerings that you do. What else do you do besides speak? And and tell us a little bit more about your speaking business. How often do you speak? What (laughs) types of groups do you speak to? And what do you speak on? Well, the main message that I tell is called Keep Conquering, Navigating Change, Chaos, and Crisis. And it's a message that's really designed to speak to a wide-ranging audience, meaning associations, corporations, frontline workers, managers, leaders, CEOs. It's not pigeonholed into a particular industry or a role or a level within a company. I made it, I designed it specifically to be a very wide-ranging audience. Right. And it's just, it's just stories from Antarctic history and from my own adventures there on how those things have really helped me to teach me lessons about navigating through the changes of everyday life that we go through, the chaos that we face, and the crises that we face. I mean, everybody is facing change, chaos, and crisis. And I do that, I don't know, 80 or 100 times a year all around the country. So that's one thing. But this whole idea of filmmaking is, is something that I'm really passionate about. You know, it's funny. I've made a living telling my story for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm to the point where I really want to make a living helping other people tell their story. I'm finding this idea of helping people tell their story to be really fascinating. And it's challenging. And I mean, I was on the phone yesterday with my video crew in LA because we're going to do a story about a company in San Diego and we didn't have the angle. So Pat and I had to, we'd spent about two hours on the phone yesterday just talking about the angle of the story and how are we going to storyline this and what's the real story. And sometimes you just don't know what it is, but we found it. And to me, that challenge of finding that real, you know, the heartbeat of the story, to me, that is really fun because it's challenging because it's not as easy as adding two and one and getting three. I mean, there's no right or wrong answers here, which makes it challenging. But yet at the same time, it's also what makes it magnetic. So I really like doing this. And I will say that not every, not every company's story is documentary worthy. I mean, some are and some aren't. But the ones that are, I want to really, I want to run those into the end zone because I just think it's fun. That's great, Mike. Well, this is fantastic. I can't wait to hear more about how that transpires in the development of your career. Thank you for being on the show today. Like I mentioned, we'll put on the show notes, all of the links, contact information on how people can reach you to have you speak, hopefully at their conference and teach them about telling their story. So thanks for being here today and for being such a great guest, Mike. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Scott. 
Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com. <laughs>